When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So the story of Jonah, uh, we talked about in week one that for a lot of people, Jonah being in the Bible might be the reason that people don't believe the Bible. Uh, It's just too much of a whale of a story. And yet I think if you only focus on the whale part of the story, you actually miss the point of why this prophecy is here. God wanted to do something. And Jonah the prophet wasn't on board. See, Jonah had served in northern Israel as a prophet, and he was used to carrying on important missions for God. When God wanted somebody to speak, he used people like Jonah to speak for him. He'd speak before kings, speak before the people, make sure that they're not forgetting what God's will was for the world. And Israel had this this unique gift of prophets Now, for Jonah, though, it's when God told him instead that he wanted him, his next prophecy, to be in Nineveh, the country of Assyria, modern-day Iraq. I had a friend a number of years ago who uh, had served in the army back in the early 90s and had served in Iraq, but then he went back later as a contractor, as a civilian, And when he went back there, there was a lot of rebuilding that was happening. And he actually brought me back a Nineveh coffee mug from that area. And I still have the coffee mug to this day. Um, But my my, my friend, he he just noted something that that was really interesting about the place. He's like, it's so biblical. When you're you're there, it's like 
the Bible stories that you learned as a kid, they just really come to life. And so, so when we look at the story of Jonah, one thing that I want to point out before people just write it off because of the whale part of the story is that Jonah is actually incredibly historically accurate. It tells us a lot about what's happening at that time in that region, about the kings that were in that place, and a lot of the conflict that was between Israel and Nineveh. And so for Jonah, it was very offensive for God to tell him to go to Nineveh. And instead of taking a camel about 500 miles east, Jonah instead hops on the cruise ship Tarshish, heading to southern Spain and goes west. So one of the things we talked about in week one is that whenever we're ready to give in to temptation, whenever we're ready to ignore God, you can be guaranteed the devil is going to set up a ship going the other way. There's always going to be an opportunity for us to walk away from what was right. And in a way, that's what happens in chapter 4. Jonah and God are arguing about what is right. Is it right? Jonah asks God. And God responds back. Is it right for the city to be destroyed? So Jonah, he heads on the princess ship Tarshish to southern Spain. And of course, uh, violent sea comes up. They, the sailors end up throwing him overboard. Jonah's swallowed by a fish where he is in the fish alive for three days. And then he is vomited onto the dry land and he knows he has to carry out his mission. Now, last week we talked about when Jonah went into Nineveh that he gave a, a very, very basic prophecy. You know, basically, he just gives them kind of a one-liner God's going to destroy this city. And then we find out that the king of Nineveh, surprising to anybody, actually takes it to heart. He thinks perhaps the people are guilty. Maybe they have done something wrong. I mean, he's actually, in a sense, confessing the sins of himself and his people. So he orders all the people to put on sackcloth and ashes and for all the people to fast from young until old. And not only that, he asks it of the animals as well. Everything living in Nineveh is going to repent. And they do. And God spares them. And this to Jonah maybe is the worst solution of all. Because for Jonah, he had always hoped maybe that when he, when he showed up, that perhaps he could live. But there was a very high chance that when a Jewish prophet shows up and starts preaching destruction to their enemies, that they could kill him for it. But maybe the worst solution is they might actually listen, and they might actually repent, and God might actually forgive them. You see, Israel had been at war with Assyria for almost 100 years. This was their greatest enemy, their greatest threat. And it wouldn't be that much later that Assyria would in fact come into northern Israel and would take them over and would take many of Jonah's community as slaves. And so in chapter 3, verse 10, when, when God saw what they did, how they had turned away from their evil ways, he relented and he didn't bring calamity on them. Just a little introspection for you. Who's your Nineveh? Who's your Nineveh? Who, who's, 
Who's the person you can't forgive? Or who's the people group that it's hard for you to love? Jonah had his. Sometimes in preparations for messages, people might assume that that all pastors do is read their Bibles or or read theological books. And and we do some of that, but I would say most of what I read and most of what I study in, in any kind of preparation is actually very secular in nature. It's important to understand the psychology and the sociology of everything that's happened. It's important to study history and to see how history's reacted to things. And I did the weirdest thing for this series because I saw that a Netflix series had become one of the most popular on Netflix flicks ever. I actually watched the story Dahmer. And not only that, did a lot of research on, but just to see about the accuracy and everything that was going on. And it was horrifying. But then there's a scene at the end where Jeffrey is confronted with the gospel. And he asks for Christ to come into his heart. And maybe... He had a conversion story. And a lot of time when I talk about this with people, a lot of them say, yeah, but, but come on, he, did he really? And I answer, I don't know. I wasn't there and I'm not him and, and I'm definitely not God. But is all he really has to do is just receive Christ as the Savior and as Lord And he's forgiven all of that stuff. That's the gospel. That's the gospel for you. It's the gospel for me. Is it even reasonable as good people to hope that the Holy Spirit could work on somebody as guilty as Jeffrey Dahmer and that he might even be in heaven? maybe greeting you. See, I, I, think, I think this is where we need to be honest with our faith. We need to be honest with what the gospel is. This is the hard truth. The same forgiveness that you and I need for our salvation is the same forgiveness that God is offering even to the worst of serial killers. And I knew this story growing up because this story was, was happening when I was growing up. And not only that, it almost happened to me. When I was eight or nine years old, I was in my neighborhood riding my bike. And a, a van pulled up and two guys jumped out and tried to abduct me. And I was able to get free. And I sprinted down a bayou and they tried to chase, chase me. And then went around the block and kind of came down my street. And I was able to hop a fence, get in my house, tell my mom. My mom freaked out. (laughs) And I was okay. But for my family, for me, the only thing we can think of are people like Jeffrey Dahmer that's out there because it's all the news is talking about. And so a part of my human nature, of course, and a part of your human nature, of course, we want people to get their due. 
And so does God. God is a just God. But he's also merciful and abounding in love. And for each of us sinners, and we all are sinners, God has provided forgiveness. And so whether it's Jonah with Nineveh or it's any of us just hearing a story like Dahmer, coming to terms with it, the question we have to ask ourselves when we grip with the Christian faith is, are we going to be offended by God's mercy? Or are we going to let God decide who's in heaven? Are we going to let God decide who can be forgiven? See, Jonah chapter 4, Jonah confronts God very, very clearly. He says, this is wrong. Jonah was angry. Isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, I told you this would happen. That, that's why I went to southern Spain. I think what you're doing is wrong. I think preaching and warning them is wrong. In fact, I knew that you're gracious and compassionate. I know that you're slow to anger and abounding in love. I know you don't want to send calamity, even when it's justified. Jonah knows what God's like. He knows how amazing and loving God is like. And he's offended by it. And then in verse 3, he says, Lord, take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. God says, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah wants to know, is it right for the Ninevites to be spared? God wants to know, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Three different times in these verses, Jonah talks about dying, talks about suicide. I'd rather die, I'd rather die, I'd rather die. And God's like, why? Because I'm loving? Are you so offended by my mercy that you, you really would just rather not live at all? See, this story is so much bigger than a whale story. It gets to the very heart of who we are, and it gets to the very heart of the gospel. The same forgiveness that has saved you. Are you willing for God to use it for others? Your neighbors, even your enemies. And then, and then, Jonah, we find him at the end of the story. He's outside the city. He's overlooking the city. He's watching as all of them are spared, and he's so mad. And so God gives him the gift of a vine, a gift of shade over him, just to comfort him for a day. And then the next day, the vine is gone. And again, Jonah's so mad. There's a scorching heat. The sun's blazing on him. He's faint. I want to die. It'd be better for me to die than to live. And God asked him an important question here as well. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? I'm so angry, he says. I wish I were dead. A plant, shade, that was pure gift. Jonah had nothing to do with it. 
He didn't plant it. He didn't grow it. It had nothing to do with him. It was not his. And God gave it to him for a day. And then it was gone. And Jonah's just losing his mind. I don't know what you've had in this past year and then you lost in this past year. But I think it's incredibly important as followers of Jesus that we have gratitude for the things we have and then even gratitude for some of the things that we've lost. Because if we're always ready to blame God for things that we lose, which we didn't earn and we didn't make, faith is going to be a very, very hard thing to keep solid. See, God knows that Jonah is so concerned about this plant. He's so angry he's willing to die. He's so angry that he's cursing at God. And yet he didn't have anything to do with it. He's so concerned about this. And so God confronts him with one of my favorite questions in all of the Bible. It's in verse 11. This is where the book ends. What about me, Jonah? Should I not have concern about that great city? There's more than 120,000 people there, and you were willing to write them all off. You were willing to judge all of them, to take the power out of my hands. 120,000 people. They can't even tell their right hand from their left. Are they bad people? Maybe, but they don't know better. That's why I sent you. And then I love what it says at the very end. And they had many cattle as well. <laughs> God's really concerned about the 120,000 people, but he's also concerned about the cows. <laughs> God's nice. See, God's message to Jonah was really pretty simple. And if we're going to follow God's lead, we have to be concerned with what God is concerned about, especially in the church. The church needs to be concerned with what God is concerned about, and God is concerned about people, lost people, good people, bad people, people who are very far from God. He wants them all, all of them to be saved. People are important to God. You are, and I am, and so is the rest of the world. We tend to get concerned about little things. But then we can be so blind to the big things we complain about vines when God is saying, make sure your heart beats for what my heart beats for. Make sure you're concerned for what I'm concerned for. God's concerned about salvation, heaven and hell stuff. God's concerned about people. It's why he sent his one and only son. So that, what does it say in John 3, 16? So that no one shall perish. No one. Jeffrey Dahmer included. You 
included. And yes, all you have to do is receive Christ as your Savior. It is faith alone that saves by grace. It's a free gift of God so that no one would boast. None of us can boast. We all need his grace. We all need his forgiveness. It should make it easier to extend that grace to somebody else. It should make it so hard to be offended by mercy because if we're honest with ourselves, if we look in the mirror and we're honest with ourselves about the things that we do wrong and the things that we have done wrong, and we realize that God has invited all of us, drop your baggage. You don't have to carry that with you anymore. You're forgiven. The cross of Jesus saves. You would think it'd be impossible to be offended by God's mercy. Because everyone who believes in Jesus is saved. A cross that crushed the power of sin forever. A cross that lays the blame of your sin and my sin on Jesus instead. Willingly, he took it. That's forgiveness. That's mercy. Christians, we have to come to terms with our own sin. Because until you realize, and I mean really realize, how desperately you depend on the mercy of God. How desperately you need the mercy of God. How undeserving you are of all of it. It would be impossible to extend grace and love to others. I want to close with a, with a final challenge for this series. During this holiday season, pick somebody that you disagree with, and I mean really disagree with. Somebody that gets under your skin. Find somebody you disagree with and just give them a free gift. Whatever it is, use your creativity, something you make, something you found, something that makes you think of them. Just give them a gift. Maybe a sweet note with it. And share the mercy of God. One of the songs that we, we love singing here uh, at Messiah is called Mercy. And that really is the whole challenge of the story of Jonah. How do we go from being offended by mercy to having wonder and awe at the mercy of God? And that's what the song is all about. When I see it for me, I want to share it with others. Going from offended by mercy to wonder and awe for all that God has given us. Please stand. Let's sing it together.
dust at the foot of the cross where men 